Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Hi, time to roll again with another edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Uh, Good morning, Fred. Well, it has been a busy, busy week. That's why we're back so soon. You could say we've got way more to talk about. The self-driving spinoff of Google Parent Alphabet has made a deal to buy thousands of additional Chrysler Pacifica minivans that will be plug-in hybrids. They'll be equipped with Waymo's autonomous technology built in. Up until now, Waymo had been placing more modest orders, really in the hundreds over a couple of years. This could move the needle on the Kornhauser scale. Uh, Yep, Fred, I took it as an enormous announcement. I mean, we've all been sort of sitting around figuring out, well, well, Waymo, uh, it looks like they're in it for the, for the business opportunity. And at some point, uh, they have to deal with the acquisition of vehicles, uh, to put their technology on. And, uh, certainly, um, they had talked to a lot of folks in the past. They had tried to build their own. And then they started buying some minivans from, uh, somewhat surprisingly, uh, Fiat, uh, Chrysler. Uh, they first bought a hundred and then last year they got another 500. And so, um, and this uh, announcement that they're buying thousands, which, um, at least it has a S at the end of thousand. So it must mean that it's at least two. Um, and, uh, so, um, so this is a real, um, real start. And, uh, and now it, um, and, and the expectations is that they'll receive them sometime this year, as I believe what they, what they said. Uh, so, uh, basically, um, the train is starting to leave the station on this in the, in that, um, w- armed with, uh, with uh, several thousands of these, uh, then they can maybe really uh, begin to see and begin to understand whether or not there is a real business case uh, for all of this. And so part of the issue will then come, uh, where will they deploy them? Will they choose to take handfuls and distribute them? all over the place and, and try that, or will they decide maybe to put them all in Chandler or in, in the Phoenix area and really begin to get a sense, at least in, in, uh, in one community, as to whether or not all this is going to be, um, is going to be a business and has, and has the opportunity uh, for scale. And, um, of course, the uh, other very interesting piece of this is the announcement that they didn't make. Uh, and the announcement they didn't make is that they're uh, intending to hire uh, thousands of uh, attendants uh, to basically sit in these vehicles as they're driving around. And so since they didn't make that announcement, one... One might assume, unless, you know, 
and really just wants to stick his head in the sand, uh, that in fact they will put these things out there once they get them uh, without an attendant in the vehicle. Uh, so um, uh, this is the real beginning of driverless. We're going to get, get beyond the one Steve Mahan ride uh, on, on, uh, on general local streets and <clears throat> get to a point where we really accumulate some vehicle miles driverless in one or maybe many communities and uh, really begin to uh, understand both the uh, both the opportunities and the challenges that that we've yet to think about uh, or yet to trip over uh, with respect to this uh, mobility revolution. So this is this is a big real one, and uh, it, it doesn't look like hype. And um, and this is, uh, at least in, in the way I take this, this is really significant. And this puts them in a, puts Waymo uh, way out in front of everybody else. So <clears throat> everybody else, uh, as I like, like to say, has a lot of catching up to do. You know, there was a Wall Street Journal report that GM is ramping up testing of its self-driving cars in California, but uh, they've got a long way to go to catch Waymo. It's well because Waymo's been doing it for a while, and it's and if one looks back at at uh, um, um, uh, well planned and how how uh, uh, you know methodically they went through the steps uh, to do the to jump the various hurdles to advance the process uh, to get to a point where in fact you can put these vehicles out there. Uh, with people, with just customers, uh, no company representative, and deliver to them uh, mobility. I mean, these will these to do that successfully. You have to be able to do that not just well. You have to be able to do it really well, essentially perfectly. Uh, nothing is perfect, so you know, don't have to do it perfect, but but essentially perfectly. And it seems as if they've marched along and just done the the heavy lifting uh, that's uh, that that anybody could have said, hey, is going to be required if you're going to uh, do this for real, as opposed to uh, let's get some venture capitalists, throw some money in there, and who knows what, and blah blah blah, and then spin it. Well, this is a pretty big deal, I suppose, for Fiat Chrysler too. I suppose. I guess so. Um, you know, they, they haven't been, they haven't been out there, you know, sort of leading the charge. I would think that, uh, that, uh, they should be able to almost immediately come out, you know, with, with advertising campaigns to say, look, the Pacifica, we're the selected vehicle. You know, we're safe, we're reliable, but, but uh, we provide them with, you know, don't, don't you families want to buy this thing? And, you know, maybe not the automated version, but the, but the base vehicle that on which Waymo's putting all that. I, I don't know, but I'm sure they're talking to their, their advertising agencies and so on, but they, they haven't been out there, you know, uh, as a leader. In fact, you know, a few years ago, they ran ads basically, uh, um, um, chiding, uh, Google for even thinking about, uh, 
you know, taking the driver out of a car. So, um, it's, it's an interesting play by them. And if you look at them and, and say, geez, they're basically sitting there in deep third place, uh, in the U.S., um, maybe this is a way to leapfrog everybody into the, into the new, um, the new mobility. And so, um, uh, kudos to them. And who would have thought it would be the family minivan leading the way here? Uh, well, you know, I mean, if, if, if it's, it's easy to get in and out and so on from the, because of the sliding door, you're not popping open. If you don't put people in the front seats and so on, you can sort of, you know, redesign the interior to scooch around there and whatever. And I don't know to what extent they've done that. And if you look at a, at a, at a, at a vehicle, um, other than taking, you know, a vehicle like the New York City cab designs or things like that, uh, this is, uh, this is a pretty interesting vehicle to do it. The size of, of it being eight, uh, is, uh, up to eight people is a little bit large. I mean, in our looking at what the ride sharing opportunities are nationwide and so on, my goodness, uh, you know, it's rare that you have, uh, you have more than two people in a vehicle and, and, you know, the five number seems to be good. But if, but if you, if you need to deal with the, with the getting in and getting out, that sliding door in the back, I think, you know, ends up really being attractive. And, um, and so, um, uh, yeah, um, a minivan, who would have thought? Well, the news has not been good for another car maker. Uh, the New York Times reporting on Volkswagen and other European car makers and an alleged prolonged campaign to produce academic research to influence the debate about diesel fuel and tax breaks. VW has already been hit with a huge fine following a guilty plea to fraud and other charges. And this, I guess, just compounds, if nothing else, the image problem. Just U-G-L-Y, it ain't got no alibi. It's ugly. And my goodness, I think as I wrote uh, with respect to when they were originally caught with their hand in the cookie jar, um, uh, you know, I certainly hope that nobody, at least in, in the automated vehicle world, be they safe, self, or driverless cars, uh, is, is doing this kind of thing. I mean, that is... Um, it's just ugly. Well, we're not going to be fudging uh, the emissions for electric vehicles anyway. That much we know. Well, it, it seems like, you know, it seems like with respect to uh, these, uh, the autonomous taxis, uh, all the things that, that, that are sort of um, uh, an issue with consumers buying electric vehicles don't exist if it's a fleet operator. Um, you don't have range anxiety because you know exactly when you dispatch a vehicle to, to, uh, serve some customers, you know how far they're going to go. You need, how, you know how much charge you're going to need. And if you don't have enough, you know, you won't send that vehicle. You'll send another. Also, because the, the demand varies all over the place throughout the day, there are only short periods of time in which you need all your vehicles. So the rest of the time, guess what? Um, they're not going to be parked as much as our current vehicles, but they're going to be parked. They're going to be parked maybe, you know, um, you know, 70, 80% of the time. 
And so, uh, in a sense, um, you know, what you're going to do is, uh, you can, you can charge them. And so there, there's not an, there's not that, that range, range anxiety issue uh, or the recharge uh, anxiety issue with, with respect to a fleet owner of these things. And it looks like that the, you know, the cost of the electricity is going to be a heck of a lot cheaper than, uh, than uh, that of um, having to use uh, non-imported oil, let alone imported oil. So, um, and the electric vehicle, I mean, the, the reduced maintenance, da-da-da-da-da-da. I mean, um, it looks like um, uh, definitely electric. We, we see what Waymo is doing here, but then our, our friend Michael Senna in a new edition of The Dispatcher has a headline that reads, no humanless drive without AGI, and that's artificial general intelligence. And what he's talking about is a machine that could successfully perform any intellectual task that a human being can perform. And we're far, it seems, from achieving that. So where do we stand, I guess, is the, is the question. And how do you interpret what Michael's saying? Well, I, you know, I think uh, Michael uh, is is making a good point, I, but I don't. I don't think we need to be that good to not go out there and stay in in lanes, uh, not uh, crash into things, and uh, not make uh, not cut people off when we make lane changes. The driving environment, the way that that we've created it is an extremely simple environment uh, of the tasks that, that a human can do. I don't know. You know, I'm not in that business, but, but uh, uh, it, it has to be one of the simpler tasks. And so whether or not we need all the capabilities of a, of a human to be able to drive, I, I don't believe so. Uh, and I guess, you know, uh, it's so simple that, in fact, uh, uh, we can sit there and do it uh, while really not paying very good attention, which we tend to do every day. So, you know, that's not a, a very good academic proof of it, but it seems to me that it is a very, very simple human task. And collision avoidance in terms of taking, um, you know, neural power uh, it tends to be in, in all species a, a relatively simple task. You know, I must have fleas flying around in my office, yet I don't see, you know, fleas splattered on the, on, on the walls. Uh, they're able to do collision avoidance. And, you know, how many neurons do they have? So, uh, again... Um, uh, certainly not a proof, but I think that what we're trying to do with respect to the driving, because it is such a structured environment, it's a human-made environment. It's not as complicated as uh, as, as other um, you know things in 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 the, in the in the in the world. And and because it is humid, it has it has very precise edges and corners and those kinds of things. And in those situations, I don't think it takes that much brain power. Now, of course, you know, in in smart driving cars, we have another 
sort of a comment with respect to to really looking at the kind of intelligence that you need in 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 the driverless space. In fact, you know, it's not just to do the 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 simple task of staying in the lane and and avoiding the collision, but but in case uh, something in the environment does not operate within this very well-defined um, uh, uh, system, then at least it has some kind of a chance of avoiding a collision. So um, uh, unexpectedly, a kid follows a ball into a, into a street. Well, anytime we see a ball rolling into the street, we, uh, we assume there's a kid and coming up behind it. Um, so in a sense, you know, that's, that's a greater intelligence that we have to build into the system to be able to handle that one. And if we're not going to be paying attention, uh, in other words, not have anybody in the vehicle in the driverless case, uh, the driverless case has to be able to handle that. Whether or not the self-driving case handles that or not um, is, is not as important because because you have a driver there that you hope will be paying attention that can capture, you know, 70% of those. And therefore, you only, you know, yeah, have to deal with, uh, you only uh, um, uh, end up um, having to eat 30% of it. But, um, but that's, um, that's a greater intelligence that you need, need for that. And, uh, and we need to work on that. But, but there's so much good that we can do before, in a sense, perfecting all of this, that uh, uh, I certainly like what Waymo is doing it. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, do a, all of our homework. Let's do it as well as we can. And let's move on and let's, let's try this thing and let's try it at least at some scale uh, so that we can really see, well, you know, how many more things do we have to do? Maybe um, uh, pause for a while to get those things done or uh, or is, is this is this uh, task really that simple? And and there's so much benefit associated with it. Let's let's continue to move on uh, at full speed. So I guess we'll have to have Michael back in for you to have more of a discussion with him about that. Absolutely, we need that. We need. We'll have a lot of fun. Well, a startup called Neuro N U R O launched by a couple of former Google engineers, uh, used to be working on the self-driving car project there, is planning a fleet of small robotic delivery vehicles. And the team there is reportedly attracting lots of talent, too. What's your take on this? Well, I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's almost like Otto and, and uh, Lewandowski all over again. In some sense, except um, uh, Anthony was dealing with big trucks, and they decided to deal with the little ones. And I think it's it's a very very uh, good approach. Whether or not they're they're um, you know really thinking too small, and and in some sense, in their press release suggesting that uh, that these things are going to run errands for us, um, I think is way I don't know time out, but. Um, but I think that um, that, uh, and I, I think I've been saying that that not only is the is there an opportunity with, for what Waymo is doing, focusing on providing mobility for all, uh, but there's there's this opportunity for for the delivery of goods to homes, 
And uh, that biggest opportunity exists because, uh, again, if you can develop a vehicle that doesn't crash and stays in its lane and doesn't cause havoc and, and does that by computers, and then you say to yourself, my goodness, uh, in the wee hours of the morning, we have all this roadway infrastructure uh, in our neighborhoods that is totally unused. I mean, there might be one car of you know, every 15 minutes or something like that. Uh, these things could actually go from the Amazon, uh, Amazon's Robbinsville distribution uh, center here, uh, here in central Jersey, uh, and bring stuff to my house and drop it off in the middle you of know, the night. Alan, Alan, what that brings to mind is uh, I, I like uh, millions and millions of others do some shopping on Amazon. And within the last couple of weeks, twice at, in the evening, early evening, I've had a knock on my door, a private driver with uh, his or her own vehicle knocking at the door with a delivery from Amazon. I'd never had that before. Uh, and uh, so I'm thinking that uh, you're right. I mean, eventually there won't be a driver there. I'll just get a notification yes. that <laughs> that there's a vehicle out there waiting for me. Absolutely. And, and, you know, they've started to use, uh, you know, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, gig workers to do that. And it's, it's, it's very effective. And, uh, and if you're doing it at the middle of the night, maybe you're, you don't want them knocking at the door, but, but, uh, I don't know. Amazon will put a box on your front or something like that to put it all in and whatever, or take it back or leave it. I mean, somebody will, somebody will figure out how to drop it off so that um, uh, when you wake up in the morning and you go there, you have your milk and your uh, cereal just ready for you, fresh eggs, and, and make yourself breakfast or whatever. I, I, and you do that all in the middle of the night. The infrastructure that we have is totally unused. And it could be used. So all of a sudden, uh, the fear factor of having these automated things running around and crashing into all of our vehicles and competing with us as we drive just isn't there. And of course, the other really interesting thing about having uh, a, a, a goods movement uh, parcel delivery vehicle that's driverless is that all of a sudden, it doesn't have to or it shouldn't have to. Um, satisfy NHTSA's uh, crash worthiness uh, standards with respect to crash mitigation and uh, uh, because uh, there's nobody in the vehicle to mitigate. Uh, so it's not that you're going to be have a steering wheel go, uh, a steering column go through the chest of somebody when you crash one of these things. One, because there's no steering column. Two, there's nobody in it. Uh, you don't need any airbags. Why? Um, because there's nobody in it. You don't need a seatbelt. Why? There's nobody in it. So therefore, all the, oh my goodness, uh, we're going to have to provide exemptions for the number, you know, and limit the number of vehicles and so on because they don't satisfy the crash mitigation standards. There are no, there's nothing to mitigate. Uh, now, uh, they will still have to Pass NHTSA's uh, um, crash avoidance uh, regulations. Uh, oh, oh, but wait a minute. Uh, NHTSA doesn't have any crash avoidance uh, regulations. 
Uh, so uh, these things don't have to satisfy any of those because there aren't any. Uh, there, of course, should be. Uh, come on, Nitsa, uh, get on with it. But um, uh, but so it should be, in some sense, almost easy and welcome uh, to have these things out on the roads when we aren't really using them and to provide this uh, this basically last mile delivery, last 10 miles delivery, from Robbinsville uh, Amazon Distribution Center to my house. Can't wait for it. And we'll see how this uh, startup fares uh, going forward. I'm sure there's plenty of competition for them. Finally, I, I know you have some thoughts following the crash of the train carrying Republican members of Congress to a retreat that crashed with a garbage truck in, in Virginia. Well, you know, I, this is well, embarrassing. Hopefully uh, this will at least make some members of Congress a little bit more um, more alert with respect to the, the needs of the nation's railway system uh, to, uh, to be able to uh, avoid uh, these embarrassing crashes. Um, you know, uh, trains shouldn't be running off the rails outside of Philadelphia just because uh, because the system didn't keep the train from going above 50 miles an hour. My goodness, you, you know that I mean, it's just physics. So that's easy. And the same thing in the one in Washington State recently that, you know, ran off the rails. Why? Because it was speeding. My goodness. Train knows where it is. It shouldn't be speeding. This situation may have to deal with, you know, having crossing gates and information systems that tell tell garbage trucks, uh, look, a train's coming. Don't cross. I, I don't know. Uh, but um, we should have. I guess we don't have all the information surrounding this yet, but there's certainly technology out there. Uh, that could prevent a lot of this or all of it. Right. And, right. and it's a big thing. And, and I think, uh, you know, the other thing that I think is coming to be important about our rail system is, as we've looked at uh, what the what the opportunities are for these autonomous taxis nationwide with the billion trips that, that take place on a typical day, one of the places that the, that the, the research community really hasn't looked at very closely so far are long-distance car trips, uh, however you want to define those. Those that are, let's say, greater than 50 miles and, let's say, up to 500 miles. If you're, if you're going more than 500 miles, you tend to hop on an airplane. Uh, but it, turns, it, it may well be that we have an enormous number of these uh, 50 or 100-mile uh, to 500-mile trips that people currently take by car and, and drive them. And then all of a sudden, if you have a, a really good system of getting people to and from both, you have to do both the to and from uh, the various uh, uh, national rail stations, Amtrak stations around the country, and Amtrak actually provided service between those places, one might be able to capture and, and, and attract an enormous amount of trips that would that would basically take an autonomous taxi to a train station, hop on the train, go, get off, uh, get onto another autonomous taxi, and get to where they're going. And and the opportunity may be. I mean, we're surprised at our numbers, and we're still going back and making sure we didn't make a mistake. That, that there are probably something like you can increase the ridership on, on on Amtrak at least by a hundred times. You know that's two orders of magnitude, 
And so um, uh, in a lot of places, uh, call them Pittsburgh to Cleveland type of things, um, uh, one could, could do those or Philadelphia to Pittsburgh or Pittsburgh to, to Columbus and, and those kinds of things. That in fact, if you had good service between those, those places uh, and the opportunity to easily get to and from uh, the 30th street stations of this world, then with trains and not necessarily high speed trains, uh, <laughs> Uh, as long as the frequency is great, uh, you don't need a high speed. And as long as you have the collection and distribution system um, to basically make the wait times and let the wait times disappear, uh, then, of course, you don't have to be fast. And so you could do it with the, basically the infrastructure that we have there. And um, and now whether or not this is a, a, a new uh, way to look at our national rail system, I think it is, or at least it deserves a, a, a hard look uh, to see whether or not these are opportunities. But this is this is, again, an opportunity to to uh, really take an enormous number of vehicle miles off of our roads, which is, I think, something that we want to do. And put them on um, at least in for line haul situations on 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 mobility that is substantially more efficient. Uh, in this case, rail. And if you do this for the long trips, guess what? You you save a lot of vehicle miles. If you do it for the two mile trip, you don't save all that much. It's worth saving, but you're doing it two miles at a time. If you do it on these, you're doing it 200 miles at a time. You're doing it by, by two orders of magnitude. So anyway, it's sort of been a, it, it's given me a, a, a different vision on the national rail system. And I think uh, if it holds up, it, you know, some other folks should also take a look at it to make sure that I'm not, you know, completely uh, goofy on this one. Well, it's going to take some planning and some thought, but that's why we and and of course Princeton have you around. I guess and that's it for. It. <laughs> I don't provide much other good to the world, so I'm glad to do that. <laughs> that's it for this edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Uh, find us at smartdrivingcar.com on SoundCloud and look for my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening. Juicy sizzling steak, hand-tossed original dough, a four-cheese blend, and Papa John's creamy signature Philly sauce. It's like the best cheesesteak sandwich ever, but way better, because it's on a pizza, which means you can share it. So show some brotherly or whateverly love and get yourself one today. Right now at Papa John's, get a large Philly or any large specialty Papa John's pizza for just 12 bucks. Yes, 12 bucks. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. At participating U.S. stores, prices may vary. Taxes tip and fee extra.